Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 537. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast. Most proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. For more information or to check out other shows on this network, please go and visit their site, evergreenpodcast.com. Before announcing my next guest, I'd like to give a quick shout out and thanks for putting up a five-star review on Apple Podcasts by Top Analyst. So this week's interview is with Ashley Reconati. Ashley's a fellow French-American and now a fellow author. Living in Shanghai and working as the MD of the APAC region for a German industrial company, Ashley recently released his book, AI Battle Royale, How to Protect Your Job from Disruption in the Fourth Industrial Revolution, published by Springer. In this conversation with Ashley, we discuss the challenges faced by people working in business to have the right attitude and skills to adapt to this fast-changing world, how to future-proof yourself and stay up to date with the new technologies, and how can we help our kids get ready. We look at some of the cultural differences, especially with his perspective being based in China, and we explore some of his key concepts and recommendations in his book. The one I liked the most was Guangxi. You'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com, and please, if you have a moment, go over and drop in a rating and review, and don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show. So yeah, I don't know whether I should be uh, Francais with you, Englishing or certainly Chineseing. Ashley Recanati, I mean, as an Italian name as they get, who are you? Hi, Minter. Good morning to you. Um, yeah, so it's a, it is a bit complicated. I tend to tell people now that I'm French American Chinese. So that they stop asking me if I'm more French or more American, uh, mm-hmm. though I'm not, I don't have any genetic Chinese roots, but I've been living in this country for longer than the France or the US. So I felt uh, entitled as a recent to just present myself that way. Uh, but it is a bit, yeah, it, it, it is another world, you could say, which I think is something you can relate to. Absolutely. So um, tell us about your background, because I would like to lead that into the writing of this book. Um, right. So I have a background on a work end, you could say, in background in finance control and manufacturing and in the retail sector. So always with a keen eye on uh, efficiency, especially when we were doing M&As, acquiring firms that were not that doing that well, and we had to turn them around. So I've always had a, an eye on this. And uh, then in the past uh, years, I've been more and more interested in future technology. Uh, this is probably also related to the birth of my uh, first daughter. I was more into history before, and then it kind of turned into future technology. And uh, something that came up in a lot of the readings that I had was that there was going to be a lot of uh, havoc uh, coming forward uh, in the workforce uh, because these new technologies coming up, uh, making certain skills irrelevant, uh, devaluing certain expertise, and uh, not necessarily causing massive unemployment. Uh, there are some people that talk about that, but that's really probably really far down the line. But before that, there'll be other problems happening and uh, shifts and where value resides for people um, in their work. So this is something that I really uh, found interesting. And what really shocked me was that I couldn't find any uh, sort of guidebook that explains to workers what they could do. Uh, most of the books that you will find out there, they just they spend most of the time uh, demonstrating the uh problem that is going to arrive 
with statistics and, and a lot of uh, arguments that are really well built, but they spend very little time on the solutions. When they look at solutions, it's more going to be for educational reform or tax reform or things that the governments can do or things that business leaders can do. There's also a lot of books that talk about you know, how to harness uh, big data and uh, avoid getting disrupted by um, Apple and Tesla and all these companies. But uh, there isn't much addressed to what the employees can do. And this is what I wanted to really uh, focus on then, uh, because I, I saw this big dearth and I, I was really, uh, I was really shocked to see this. So I started writing an article here, an article there, and then progressively, I got to this project of writing a book. And um, yeah, here we are in 2023 now. Indeed, you, you talk about two gaps that need to be filled. One was the efficiency tools and the way we actually work. And the second was uh, lack of advice uh, in how to manage effectively. And, and um, certainly I, I thought that your thesis at the end of the day is that everyone needs to find their own path. That's right. Um yeah, the, the the reason the book is titled uh, AI Battle Royale is the idea that right now we currently have a middle class, which it depends on the countries, obviously, but it's let's say it's around half of the population. It used to be more than half of the population uh, back uh, some 50 years ago. It was around like 60% of the US. Now it's down to about half of the population and it's still in decline. Uh, so where do these people go well they're either going further uh, down towards uh, low paid jobs or they're going to high higher paid jobs so this is uh, the phenomenon that's been happening and and that should be exacerbated further with uh, artificial intelligence and other technologies so then the question is which direction are you going to go obviously everyone wants to go upwards but uh, that involves rivalry between uh, you know with your peers and your colleagues so only a certain number of people are going to be able to get those uh, lovely jobs so uh, that is where I try to come in and help people to understand okay uh, you're not it, it's it's not a, a rivalry against you're not fighting against computers you're fighting against other people to leverage computers and other tools uh, in order to get into those better paying jobs and survive. You know? It reminds me of the that story of, uh, hey, there's a bear coming. And uh, both the people in the in the uh, sleeping bags and one guy's not moving. He says, hey, aren't you scared? <laughs> no. Yeah, sure I am. But I know I can outrun you. <laughs> it's yeah, that's exactly the case. Um, so the name Battle Royale, of course, is an intriguing name. It made me feel half American, half French uh, in the way uh, that it's spelt uh, as such. What, what was the actual inspiration for using that term? It's the idea that, uh, again, it's not everyone. I'm not giving advice to everyone. When you give advice saying, okay, this is what the government should do. Uh, this is advice that concerns everyone. It's to have a better society. Uh, my point, of, and, and this is a very good thing. I don't, uh, I'm, I'm not disparaging that. I'm just saying that it's kind of just wishful thinking and it's not something that the majority of readers can do anything about. So I'm wish to tell the people like, don't just lay back and wait for government to act or go to vote and things like this. Of course you should, but that's not enough. You need to see what you personally can do in the workplace. And uh, again, and the under the hypothesis that we're there where you have 10 people working today maybe tomorrow there will only be six people maybe there will only be three people how can you become one of those last standing people this is where the term uh, battle royale comes from 
Hmm. Well, um, I was, and I certainly subscribe to that thesis uh, since I, when I wrote my book, Future Proof, I mean, the first three chapters are dealing with really more about attitude and mindset than actually worrying about the technologies themselves. But you're, I mean, the book is a, it feels very textbook-like in terms of the thoroughness of it, the, the, the schemes. Do you, are you trying to approach schools and universities with it as well, or is it strictly going to be like a B to C, as we say in our old marketing jingo, for, for folks to come across? Uh, I think it's more B to C, and it is potentially an issue that I kind of thought of after was that I didn't want it to be too down to earth. So I, it is a bit, uh, for some people, it might be a bit, um, there might be some areas that are a bit uh, difficult. Uh, so there could be a bit of a, some some areas, this is something I, I should have, I, I believe that sh- should be improved uh, because I want it to be a mass market. But uh, in some of the parts, you do have to uh, provide proof of what you're talking about. And, uh, you know, Springer is, is a serious uh, editor, uh, the publisher I have. So it's it's really uh, math books and textbooks and things like this. So, yes, it, it does need to be well documented. And uh, so I, there was a lot of research that was put into this. It, it's not just because, you know, ChatGPT came out a year ago and I'm like, OK, yeah, let's let's write a book about this. And no, it's been a project that I've been on for about five years now. So, uh, yeah, it's, but that, but that is a good point. Uh, it, it might, uh, have this effect of turning some people off. Um, but it, well, no, but on the other actually, hand, it's, it's actually, more researched. Well, I'm looking at it the other way and saying that it's, it's got the, the potential quality to be a book that universities, uh, business schools might wish to, to take on. Because as you say, in the end of the day, I mean, if you're going to business school, for example, Hopefully, it's helping you to educate you on how to deal with the context and learning how to be part geek, part executive, part creative, or whatever uh, will be your cocktail, should be part of the the uh, training cursus. So um, you, you talk about the subtitle is how to protect your job from disruption in the fourth industrial revolution. So that was another piece that you educated me on because I really hadn't thought specifically around the these these revolutions the uh, i've I kind of stuck with my first industrial revolution from the 1800s from my my school schoolroom uh in in england uh but of course there's been these, been these new technologies and i was just wondering because uh, i love the way you express you know hey listen we're only going to know if it actually is a fourth ir um posthumously but tell us how you came across or, you know, when you I know, I'm sure you had the conversation with Springer about this subtitle. Well, that's to the, sub, the idea of the subtitle is to be able to explain a bit more uh, the context of what the book is about. So it's talking about these new technologies, uh, in particular, artificial intelligence, but not only artificial intelligence and uh, what these technologies could uh, how they can impact the workforce and how the employees who have a job can, you know, play their cards in this context, uh, which is evolving very rapidly. So the idea is it's it's not just addressing also, it's not just this stereotype where you see a lot of research only addressing workers and manufacturing. Uh, manufacturing is not the sole sector that is concerned here. We're talking a lot about office jobs and uh, we're talking about uh, white collar jobs too. So uh, it's really addressing all of these these people i mean it's it's a lot easier to use an algorithm to automate tasks or simplify work than uh, it is to uh, automate manual labor 
So uh, manufacturing jobs, again, this is not, uh, it's, it's less than a third of the workforce and it's never been a, a more than a third of the workforce, even at its height. So it's not the main uh, jobs that, that that are being targeted. But the idea, yes, is, is how, how do you, you know, it's it's how do you, you know, keep a job as, as long as you possible. You know, I, I make this kind of allegory with Titanic, you know, it's how you stay on the boat as long as possible before getting in the water. Yeah, it, it does have this, I mean, the by the, the image you have on the front, the battle, protect, there's a whole sort of battle stations component to it. Right, right. Yeah, that's true. The, uh, on the front we cover, we have uh, we have an, an artificial intelligence eye uh, above that is sort of looming above this uh, battle taking place, which is an old, um, uh, yes, it's, an, it's, yeah, it's a for anyone For battle. anyone who's watching us on video, you can see the cover in the, in the image. Right, it's uh, Ukiyoe by Kuniyoshi, and it's a battle that happens, which which I thought was really interesting. This battle, because if you look well on the different fighters, they're actually um, pieces of chess of uh, Japanese chess, which is called shogi, and it kind of gives the idea that there's a bit of strategy and how you you know how you play again how you play your cards right in order to get through and and navigate through these treacherous waters. I love it. <laughs> they're most interesting. Um... One of the, so we're talking about um, what, what's it going to take? And, and I, and you've told us how you went from sort of, let's like me, by the way, Ashley, interested in history. My first book was a history book of Second World War. And then my second book was Future Proof, uh, talking about the future. So it feels like a very parallel existence, not to mention the fact that Franco American also is my title. Um, but um, what, how, how does one stay up to date? with everything that's going on at a global level, because you have tentacles in America, in France, in China, and, and, you know, let's say America and China, just those two alone, they're doing quite a lot of things. So how do you, Ashley, stay up to date? Me, myself, or how does a, a normal worker stay up to date? Well, how do you? How do you? Uh, it's 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 become very difficult, especially in the past year. There's just so much coming out. So I have different sources of information, including like group chats with uh, AI enthusiasts and um, people who you know creatives who use things like Midjourney, Stable Diffusion, things like this, and they talk on plugs in, plugins and, and things. And and there's just so much going on now. It's uh, it, you can't really uh, always be up to date and be testing all of the latest things. So. Um, yeah, it's it's a bit challenging, but it's also a very interesting time that we're going through. So uh, I prefer having this than not having any change, you know, and, and, and I find it's really thrilling. Uh, when I was a kid, um, you know, I was interested in history. I thought that one of the most interesting periods of recent history where you actually had uh, uh, someone who was like really uh, putting it, going all in to develop new technologies was a very bad uh, example. It was uh, the Nazis. The Nazis, they just put a lot of effort into developing new technologies. And over a decade, they came out, or a decade and a half, they, they came out with some crazy things. But it's not really something that you want to have as a role model. But there was nothing else at the time, really, uh, in the 80s and the 90s, if you know. And now we see people like, uh, you know, we see all these big tech companies who are putting in billions to develop uh, the metaverse, augmented reality uh, and, and artificial intelligence. And I think so. So it's, it's a really a thrilling time that we, and, and they're doing this for not for nefarious purposes. Uh, it could be capitalistic purposes, but it's not, you know, they're not trying to, to destroy uh, half the planet. So it, it's a very thrilling time that we're in. But it is very challenging uh, as a recent, uh, especially when you have a full time job uh, to stay up to date. Well, indeed, hence my question. And I think it's a very relevant question 
at a personal level, because in the end of the day, if the book is designed to help workers deal and protect and, and get ahead, um, it's how do you fit it in? And then how do you avoid, you know, I'm really curious. So rabbit hole uh, hell uh, can be the next thing because Aaron, I need to learn a little bit more about, oh, hey, what did you mention? Augmented reality. What is that? Let me go figure it out. Next thing you know, you're, you know, you're reading vast tomes all about augmented reality. And meanwhile, on the, on the sideline, virtual reality is taking off or, you know, some new uh, chat GPT V5 is up and running. And so it's, it's, it is, I think, one of our true challenges is to how to orchestrate our learning in the VUCA world that we're living in. Right. It's important for people to uh, also relate, be able to relate what these, what's going on uh, with their work. It's, it's, there's no point to like go really, and, and I kind of make a point about this in the book, there's no point going really far out to learn uh, coding and things like this if, if it's not re- related to your work. So uh, if, if your work, you have to use a lot of Excel, for instance, then it totally makes sense to use, to learn how to master the shortcuts uh, with a keyboard you know, rather than to learn Python or something. And then it probably makes more sense to learn how to use formulas, how to use private chart tables, and uh, eventually how to use a uh, visual basic uh, the VBA coding, because this is really related to Excel rather than trying to learn something really uh, out there that is not related to your job. Maybe it's, it makes more sense to learn Power BI if that's what your company has. If you have a business analytics tool, this makes more sense than learning other things. Yeah, and you so really have to keep your feet to the ground, you know? Yeah, and you very correctly point out how you should be linking this journey to things like what you're passionate about, what you're good at, and where there's a market. I mean, the, the ikigai type of approach. And, and that really speaks to getting to know who you are as an individual and, and trying to figure out who you want to be as you write in the future. And, that, and then you can sort of orient your learning. If, and this is a big old if, you have first knowledge of who you want to be and two the discipline it's it's funny that you mentioned this because actually i felt i i probably didn't put enough emphasis on this and this is really where you come from because I, I know you're big on this about you know uh, what is your own uh, raison d'être uh, what is your own purpose and everything so i do take a lot of um notes uh, that, that I take out from the textbooks of how a business is supposed to be run, because I believe an individual should do the same way. And a lot of the book is about transposing what businesses do, like, you know, branding yourself, uh, creating a compelling story, automating tasks that can be automated, uh, going for more cognitive work, and uh, all, all of these things which businesses do, and, and including doing a SWOT analysis and these very basic things, we need to do this ourselves. But we also need, just like a business, we need to know what are our values, what is our uh, mission statement? What is our vision for the world? These are really important things that we're not uh, taught about that uh, society just left us out. And it's a, very difficult to do this as a human being. It's even more difficult than for a company because a company is usually founded with a purpose. Whereas, you know, you're brought to this world, your, your parents don't give birth to you thinking, okay, this, this person in 20 years, this is what he's going to do or something. And that's what I'm going to uh, grow him up for. You know, no, it's, that's not the way it works. So I don't feel like I put enough emphasis on this. I'm actually working on the French translation now and adding a few like, you know, enhancements to this. So that'll probably be in the next uh, edition. Well, I let me say I feel for you because I have uh, translated two of my books into French as well. So I know exactly the journey that you're on, trying to make it more relevant for a francophone market and such. And then, you know, things have happened since you wrote this first one because that takes a whole lot of work and new things have come up and 
update for this and update for that. Bonne chance, mon cher. Um, uh, one of the stories that, uh, so going a little bit coquelin, as we say in French, from this to that, uh, one of the stories that I really enjoyed uh, was the the salt story of there was a, you know, crisis of food and uh, people tried to get enough meat. And then the soldier uh, goes and, and has a super astuce uh, idea. Tell us about that, because I loved your Fleur de Sel uh, follow up. That was just it, it, it was the idea of um it was part of the, I was talking about the importance of social networking. Uh, so it was kind of a sub story within that, but it was the idea of also at the same time, uh, the importance of, of what is finding what is scarce, what has value. So it's a bit the mix between two, but yeah, th- this was a story that took place during uh, the civil war uh, where there was some, I believe it was some looting happening uh, around Atlantic city or something like this with Sherman's yeah, so army. The U S the US civil war to precise. The U.S. Civil War, yes, sorry, indeed. And um, d- during the American Civil War, yeah, there was some looting, and the people, you know, they, they were living off uh, the terrain, and uh, so they picked up a lot of the soldiers. They found uh, stockpiles of uh, food, and they picked up, they stuffed as much meat as they could. One of the soldiers, instead of taking meat, he took salt, and the others didn't understand why he filled his bag with salt. But by doing this, he was able, throughout the f- following days and weeks, to trade his salt against the meat that the others had because you need the salt in order to preserve the meat and uh, in order to have to, to make it taste better too so by doing this he was able to have more meat than any of the others uh had and uh than he could have ever carried so that was yeah his clever way of uh, getting through because he was the only one who had only stockpiled salt and that oh. was in, in terms of the rarity we there's a lot of cases like this if you look well like if you look today a taxi driver to get from here to the airport in shanghai is maybe 30 euros exactly a year and a few months ago during the lockdown it was very difficult to get out of your home let alone find a taxi let alone get to the airport so the very few drivers who had this license to be able to go out and take people around they were charging at the time 10 times the price because suddenly driving became a scarce thing Scarce activity. And then you have your example of the fleur de sel, which you, you bring as I would call it the French touch. <laughs> right. That was the example when I go and, and even actually enough for uh, when you go to a barbecue uh, or something, people will usually bring a bottle of wine. But actually, being from France, I would be able to reach this area called La Boule, where we have some of the best salt in the world. And the top of the best salt is called fleur de sel, as, as you say. And uh, a bag of this, when you go there, is probably like 30 euros. So it's the price of a you know average good bottle of wine. And uh, I would rather bring a bag of this than a bottle of wine because it's something that is more unique, more original, and it uh, comes from a special place and it brings... It lasts for a very, very long time, and it really makes the meat feel a lot better. So it's something that has a lot more value than just a bottle of wine amongst many that you will just end up drowning on the same evening and forget about. You know? Indeed. Well, I so a hat tip to my friends at Le Boule and, and Jean-Jacques. So hopefully they'll enjoy that particular idea. Um, one of the things that uh, really intrigued me, Ashley, about you in your book is the fact that you're based in Shanghai. For the West... China, Shanghai, it's quite opaque, obscure, (laughs) difficult to understand. And I was just wondering to what extent your viewpoint in your mind has been fed by the long period of life that you've had in China, uh, notwithstanding your full knowledge and and, uh, Franco-Americanness. 
what we see in in China is um, acceleration is very visible here. There's less of a link to the past, and people are okay with change. They they've witnessed a, a, a incredible change uh, over the decades, so they're always. Uh, going, they're always switching to something new, um, and they have very. You, you know this, for instance, in the, um, the luxury field, they have limited uh, brand loyalty. They're always like switching and testing new things, and <clears throat> so they're always they're, they're always into this um, tech acceleration. And uh, so you see the the future kind of coming up here. It's like it's we're really it's 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 a country that is turned totally towards the future, whereas in, in Europe people are turned a bit more towards the past. And it's very exciting to see this. Uh, although it's it's a bit changed now, as you know, the the economic situation in the past year isn't that great. But uh, until the, for the past twenty years that I've been here, it's uh, it was really the 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 place of you know open to the future. So it also like was very uh, had a predominant impact on writing the book because you see this uh this big race to automate very present here uh partly for reasons of demographics because as you know there's a big threat of uh, aging population here which is like a big social time bomb and it's a time bomb for companies welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit fuel your purpose and connect us all We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. How do you think that uh, inverse pyramid of ages, or at least, you know, changing pyramid, um, is impact influencing the way that the Chinese are approaching technologies? Do you see them getting into octogenarian AI healthcare? <laughs> what, what, how, how does it inform uh, and shape the way the Chinese are approaching this uh, battle royale? They're especially, what, what I see the most is that they want to, again, there's a race to automate work here for which you cannot find uh, labor anymore. So I have the example recently with uh, Schindler, the elevator company from Switzerland uh, in China, that there's a bit of a weird law where you have to maintain elevators every two weeks. So every single elevator and every single building needs to have a maintenance guy come and check the elevator every two weeks. And this is a huge burden for elevator companies. So they're trying to uh, upgrade the elevators with IoT devices and things like that to really facilitate maintenance and do preventive maintenance. And they're working together with the government to do this because the government is very aware of this acute labor shortage in this type of job so that they can transition and change the law so that it, they no longer have to have this uh, very uh, strict uh, regulation anymore. So it's just an example, but we have like a, a huge uh, issue coming up. Uh, as you see in the book today, China has 900 million workers. By 2050, there will be only 700 million workers forecasted. So that's a 200 million workers less, which is just a huge amount. That's more than the entire workforce of the United States. So 
how do you compensate for this? Uh, automation is one of the main uh, directions that the country is marshalling forth in order to solve this issue. Yeah, so what I'm hearing is there <clears throat> in this particular case with Schindler, there's the, or, you know, lifts in general, is this uh, collusion or at least work with the government? Because at the end of the day, or that speaks, in my opinion, more to the Chinese situation. And, and, and yet we, we do need to think about this idea of regulation, which um, seems to be a pretty spiny topic. Uh, how, how, do, how does one appraise regulation and how is it different in your mind when you look at Europe, France, United States and China? Oh, each of the countries has a very different approach, but in terms of regulation, there is a lot uh, that needs to be done. It's just looking at uh, the issues posed in general by AI, um, augmented reality, when this comes out, uh, really uh, in mass society, there's just so many ethical issues that are being raised and so many areas where we need uh, regulation to intervene or to provide a, a framework uh, for companies to be able to, to, to work and, and, and including in terms of protocols and, and harmonization of, of these protocols. So that there's just so many areas that, 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 that are needed and for related to work, it could be more flexible methods of work. It could be more, I mean, regulation sometimes is very damaging to work when you have things like, uh, even if it's, with the good intentions, if you write, if you raise the minimum wage, it makes it more uh, appealing for companies to seek other uh, ways to get the work done using a uh, silicon, using you know artificial intelligence instead of using labor. So it's uh, there can be some uh, negative effects even when there's good intentions. I know your book isn't intended for the government, but if you had uh, for government a uh, person related to regulation we're listening what advice would you be giving them in terms of like a framework for their work in terms of the future of work or yeah, in terms and, of... And, well in terms of regulating ai and uh the tech that's out there how can i mean because the end of the day you know you you and i at the beginning we talked about how difficult it is to stay up to date and we yet are at the coalface with a lot of this stuff Someone in government uh, was brought up at a very swank school, perhaps, but um, that doesn't make them equipped to understand how to deal, regulate, and and inform people. No, there's a lot. I mean, so, so as, as you say, I have, this isn't a topic that I really uh, am focused or have researched or consider myself an expert on because there's a lot of uh, the, 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 there's really a lot of areas. Um, where there's a lot of ethical concerns uh, being posed by AI, and then for it's it's really um, it's really unfortunate that a large part of the debate is turning around the prospects of artificial superintelligence, which is really uh, something that we should keep uh, for later because it's we're nowhere near to getting there. So that's not something we need to worry about today. But unfortunately, a lot of the discussion is uh, centered on that. But uh, for, f I believe the government should at least uh, th that there should be really some sort of um, organization created uh, like a panel government and uh, with uh, scientists, with data scientists, with uh, businesses and with, you know, a, a bit of all the stakeholders, even employees, uh, you know, for that matter. And, and some citizens, like some, some sort of organization created a little bit like you have with the ISO, uh, something like this, but even if it's just at a state level, that could be a good start. Cause you can't, you know, you can't go dream too big at the beginning, but just at the state level, if you start to have this uh, kind of uh, corpus that can then 
think about the problem, tackle the issues, work on them one by one. And that's not just a temporary thing. It's really just a longstanding thing to remain informed. These people can then inform you know, other decision makers within the government. Uh, they can help to define the regulations and uh, the, the the policies that are necessary and, and provide recommendations that are listened to. And I think we, I, I think there's organizational bodies like this for uh, environment and for different areas. There, there needs to be one for new technologies also. Yeah, to have these sort of polysectorial, polyvalent, or at least very different uh, types of skill sets and attitudes and, and stakeholders, as you say. I mean, I had the experience um, in July of focusing on one topic, not for regulation, but in the same kind of vein, look at the big idea, which is how does one really look at, uh, evaluate, measure empathy, and then think about it in, in a machine. And I, we had 24 people. We had a sociologist, anthropologist, psychotherapists, and all this melange of people. And yet it's very hard to galvanize all these opinions and come up with one regulation at the end of the day. You can't meet everybody's needs. No, and, and, and there's no easy solution because we're talking about uh, we're talking about a revamping of the existing capitalist model. Uh, a lot of the jobs that are necessary today are not jobs that are well-paying according to the capitalist model. It's jobs for healthcare, for instance, jobs for uh, tendering for the elderly. Uh, the, these jobs are really not well-paid at all. And there's a big uh, gap of labor here, but uh, it's not jobs that people want to do. And there's no help from, uh, there's insufficient help from the government on these jobs. So right now, the way that things, it's it's a bit too much free market. And uh, I'm not saying we need to go towards a communistic society, but there needs to be something more equitable for for people and that that's where we need more of a debate and uh, that's what a lot of the you know the futurist writers are uh advocating for but so far it seems like it, it falls on deaf ears hmm. well um i i was wondering if you had do, do you read fiction science fiction yeah yeah sure do you have any books that you feel are a good uh, science fiction or dystopian models that um, might help uh, spark people's also interest and intrigue in this area well there's yeah there, there's there's plenty i mean uh there's you know the 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 brave new world uh the uh obviously 1984 i mean these <laughs> these are um they're not classics for you know there are any reasons they they, they remain very much uh, alive uh today in terms of uh some of the things happening in there it's uh, actually quite scary. Uh, then there's some more recent things. Uh, the one that uh, Li Kai-Fu wrote with uh, Chu Chen-Fan, uh, 2042, uh, 10 Visions of the Future, something like this, is, is very interesting also because it mixes a short, uh, a fictional short story with an analysis coming after. It's it's kind of like uh, watching a Black Mirror only in a book. So it's, it's uh, quite interesting also. They focus on several different topics. Uh, I like that. Well, we could put those in the show notes. The one I would add to the plate, and I think it's relevant uh, as as it only is 99 years old. Next year, it'll be 100 years old is Zamyatin's We, which is a, uh, a powerful, um, a powerful indicator of this idea of global happiness. We'll see how that all plays out. So in your book, um, you, you do lay out uh, in the end, a, I mean, you, you bring it all to, to fruit, if you will, in a conclusion, uh, talking about the, the, how each individual needs to find their way through it. Uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed uh, in that moment, especially considering it's a foreign 
concept and word is this idea of, and I'm going to pronounce it incorrectly, Guangxi, or I suppose something like that, G-U-A-N-X-I. And so tell us about that, because I think that's a a genuinely useful insight for us. It's Guangxi is uh, the Chinese uh, word which loosely translates as their relations, uh, the the networks uh, that you forge around you, that the people that you know. And uh, I think it's something where we are very, uh, we're still, it's still very rudimentary the way that we do this. Uh, if you look on, for instance, if you look on any, uh, you, we, we think you think you're really well connected and everything, but if you look on any social media app and this, for instance, is WeChat, this is, well, whether it's WeChat or whether it's WhatsApp or whatever, I find it's really, I'm very started that this is still just unidimensional. It's a linear listing of my contacts. There's nothing better. There's no two-dimensional, no three-dimensional view where I can see who knows who and and how well do we know each other and who did favors to who and how there's there's I can't apply filters to see things. It's it's just really extremely limited. So we don't have a, any good tool for this yet, which is really uh for me it's a, it's surprising that none of the big tech companies come up with this because it's not that complicated to do. But uh yes the one of the the, the ideas that uh the networks are very important for your career for your work and and for your future later you never know if when you reach 40 or 50 or 60 you decide like okay suddenly i want to open my own business or something and then you're going to think oh well i need to know a banker i need to know i need contacts in this area this area that area and then you suddenly you realize wow so i did know people like this but i would never really was nice to them i never really called them out or anything i haven't kept touch with them so now it's that's a bit of a pity but by then it's too late so you need to really look early on and build contacts and if you read any books about you know how to get rich or how rich people live or something. These are already principles that they live by. Uh, and it's, there's a lot of really good books written on this, like uh, never eat alone uh, by super connector, uh, Keith Ferrazzi uh, that, that, that are really brilliant. And, and, and that explain this. And it's uh, true that this is also an advantage that we have over uh, artificial intelligence or what it's, it's the social networks that we can create and that we can build and that we can uh, feed and uh, helping people around us. It's also, you know, at a certain point, you mentor others and it's, uh, it's, it's really a gift that you can give as a human being. Well, I want to get back to Guangxi in a moment, but it, it, I mean, when it, when we look at these social networks, the, my, I would say judgment is that they seem to do only the things which are useful for their business model as opposed to what actually would be useful for us. You know, LinkedIn keeps on spamming people saying, connect with mentors. I get these ridiculous connection requests. People have never met in my life. What kind of a relationship is that? Well, I don't know them. They don't know me, really. And it's just flat and superficial. Right. I was referring to social networks in the physical world, uh, not not the digital social networks. Uh, digital social networks is a different uh, beast uh, altogether. And, and I share your your criticism. Uh, personally, I, I've, I, I used to like, you know, ride this wave at the beginning when it came up because I thought it was really nice, especially for because I lived in a lot of different places. It was really cool for me to reconnect with people that I hadn't seen in t- 20 years or in 30 years or, or family members I didn't know about and everything. But in the end, it it really doesn't uh, it, I, I, I kind of lost interest in this and I, I found myself wasting too much time on this. And I so I sort of cut this off and uh, I don't really have much uh yeah I'm, I'm not that present on these networks anymore so yeah you have to be very careful with these uh it's not the worst thing that you have in terms of digital um entertainment these days uh but sure you have to be very careful with that about how you spend your time and you're, you're really responsible for your time and we only have it's, it, it's our most precious luxury so you have to be careful with that 
We agree. Well, let, can you just explain a little bit more from an etymological standpoint, at least the Chinese element of Guangxi? Because it, it's that which I thought which was beautiful. The What does it mean in there, your term? Um, so my Chinese got a bit rusty, but it's it's basically relates to the, the roots that connect people. And uh, so it's... Um, it, it, it sort of goes back to Confucianism, where the links between yourself and society uh, matter a lot, because it's, it's kind of the idea that you only exist as, as much as you're being observed and that you're in society with a lot of with other people. If you're just a, a hermit living alone in a forest uh, who's never seen anyone, it's, it's the same as if you didn't exist, really, you know. So uh, it's, it's all about the bonds that people create with each other and and how this this works out and uh i i mentioned in there that's probably what you're referring to to uh, also the uh, hindu philosophy where there's um, basically four different paths that one can have in one's life and uh, these are not exclusive to one to the other but one of the paths is uh, going to be kama which is quite famous with kama sutra but it's basically the the pursuit of uh uh, pleasures of the five senses so it can be eating too or or drinking um then you have artha which is uh more the uh pursuit of uh how to say riches you know material wealth and then you have this um the dharma which is finding your place within society and uh, this uh, this obviously relates in, in part to the caste system, but it's the idea that, okay, this is what you're best at. You know, this is where you can fulfill yourself by doing this. And uh, this is something, of course, in our modern society, we believe you have to find this for yourself. It's not just because your parents were uh, making shoes that you need to make shoes and so forth. But that's basically the, the idea of Dharma is where you find your best place in society, in the cosmos, is the way that you can sort of uh, attain self-realization. And then the fourth uh, path is uh, the moksha, which is the deliverance of, you know, going into nirvana and all this, which is normally the, the final uh, step. I was intrigued, and I, maybe it's a little off topic, but I, I think it's still relevant is this notion of community. No man is an island. I, I like to say you are as strong as your network. And and you, you also talk about religion. In, in the West, or, or maybe, I don't know how we want to characterize it, but uh, in, in a lot of societies, religion is on the down. It feels that community is being restrained. It's like my own little micro community, my ecosystem, my bubble, if we will, in other terms. And I was wondering to what extent you are seeing the same type of phenomenon or not in China. Oh, yes. And, and in terms of the... Um... Well, in terms of the fact that you have digital um, smartphones and things like this that tend to isolate us, yeah, this is a phenomenon that is much as alive in China as elsewhere. And uh, unfortunately, I think Chinese are more advanced on this. They do; they spend more time on their phones. They do more shopping. Uh, they do more mobile payments. And everywhere where they are on the street walking, they they're always doing it, watching a movie on the phone or something. So it's it's really uh, it's really a problem here, and it's it's ostracizing people that it, more than it is uh, connecting them, I believe. Uh, at least in the physical sense of the term. But yes, at the end of the day, you are the average of the five people that you hang out the most with. And uh, if you don't hang out with five people, but you spend your time uh, on Facebook or on TikTok, then you're going to become, you know, you you know how the algorithms work. You're going to feed you more of what you like to see. So you end up really drinking your own bathwater and you're not going to get a really good objective uh, view of the world with many different perspectives in order to be able to forge your own uh, judgments. And this is something that is uh, really um, 
that is really worrying me. There's a, a survey, I believe, is out of uh, the U.S. that talks about the average number of friends that people, true friends that people have, and that number a few decades ago was five. Then uh, maybe 20 years ago it was four, and the most recent version of it uh, we're down to three, and uh, it does seem to. You know, we're, we're, we're just reducing ourselves. We're no longer exploring. And, and especially in a world where, like you and I are dealing with so many different technologies, we can't possibly stay up to date with everything. And so the only, the only alternative is to have a network that can help you, like you mentioned, your WhatsApp group. So let's, just for the last piece, talking about the future. So uh, individuals who are listening, who will also have children. Uh, what do we need to to cultivate? And and the general area, you got the skills with regard to, let's say, tech. But the other one is my humanity. And and my observation is to start with that our humanity is already suffering in that we're no longer looking to craft deep bonds with more people, living in a community. There's a lot more narcissism out there. So let's use that as a background before we start saying about enhancing our humanity or the things that make us unique versus a machine. So talk us through what you think we need to be focusing on. When it comes to bringing up our kids? Well, starting with myself and my humanity, because this is what the book's aimed at. And I want to get the kids right after that. I think it's I think it's important. So yeah, one end is you master the tools that are relevant to your job. The other end is you remain efficient or good at everything there where the tools cannot be of help. So uh, it's not just because you have really sophisticated tools that you don't need to read anymore or get information anymore. So you need to still know how to read and, and things like this in order to preserve your human humanity. Uh, you need to remain curious and open as to what's going on in the world. You need to get out and, uh, you know, have, get out of your comfort zone. It's just, uh, th these tools make it very comfy for us to remain in our comfort zone. It, it makes it really easy. You don't, I mean, you can remain uh, entertained uh, on your bed uh, without having to go anywhere anymore. It's just, uh, whereas before you would have to go out, you'd have to go out if you wanted to get food, if you wanted, no, now everything can come to you very easily. So it's important to keep on uh, to, to to keep root with things that ancestors before us were doing, that our grandparents were doing, the way that the simple ways of life uh, that includes having to do some manual labor, it includes having to go out, it includes remaining informed and and uh, doing things that you didn't really necessarily think you would like, but you start you try it out and then you realize, wow, there's actually some interesting things that come out from this, and by doing this, you kind of broaden your mind. It, it, your comments make me think of a, a book that really had a big impact on me. It was called Lost Connections, which um, was written by an English journalist called Johan Hari. And, and what was interesting about what he was proposing, first of all, he was uh, tackling this topic of, of uh, mental health, and which I think is relevant in this whole story somehow. Mm -hmm. and, and how... What he proposed were these seven different ways of reconnecting, connecting with ourselves, our friends, with earth, animals, uh, like you say, the crafts in your hands, the manualness. And um, it, it feels like we, we, you know, part of the solution, not just to mental health, but also having fulfillment, as we say, in work is, is reconnecting in general. Yeah. 
the best if if you can find a work that you like it doesn't feel like work anymore no matter how late you're at there that's that's obviously the ideal uh it it is a bit of a luxury though so not everyone can always have that luxury at all times but yes reconnecting is important and there's different ways there's no one path to do like for personally i uh I spend uh, maybe a disproportionate amount of time uh, looking in, inwards at my dreams. Uh, so I was, since I'm age 13, I would write my dreams every morning. I have like entire notebooks full of my my dreams. Um, and I've obviously, you know, and I obviously read a lot of books, uh, Young and, and Freud and Kant, uh, about dreams. But, uh, and, and I use this also to interpret uh, all the different possible meanings. And it's it's really interesting to do this. Um, but that's that's just a personal way for someone else. It might be uh, they might find relaxation through painting or um, kintsugi or some other craft or some other exploration, you know, but it's maybe some people find it through video games, too. But uh, I think, uh, yeah, you know, each person will find their way out there. I will have a, a, a Danish friend of mine who wrote a few books and he talks about the importance of maintaining your dreams. I'll put a show note into his book as well. because so I think that's a, a valuable idea. One of the things that we talk about, I mean, really, and this is obviously something you and I can get into the weeds on, which is these elements that are not automatable, not machinable, let's say. And typically we'll, we'll talk about a certain set of things like creativity and ideation uh, let's say random. I think random is an interesting idea. Uh, chaos, maybe uh, imagination. And another one that I think is really useful is neuroticism. Uh, one considered like one of the big five traits that we have, and it, it's hard to program being neurotic. It's, it feels deeply human. If if that's the case, what do you think with your two children who are under ten years old, if I can recall? What kind of educational system should we be would be promoting? Should we be changing education? Or if, of course, that seems like a rather large task, maybe at home, what, what do we need to be doing? Should we just be banning all computers uh, or focusing on how to do both? Where, where, what kind of advice do you and thoughts do you have about that? There's a big debate on uh, the idea of banning all um, screens at home. Whether this uh, is good for the is better for the kids, whether it handicaps them, uh, whether it helps them to prepare for growing up in society or not. Uh, so, and, and then this depends on the age too. So, that's a huge uh, area of debate that I haven't yet really uh, settled uh, on. But uh, for now, I'm trying to at least let my daughter be aware of this. So, I was kind of pointing out to her when we go out, just the two of us, sometimes when we go out for a walk or we sit down at a coffee shop or something, I point out to her, look at everyone on their phones, you know, and I try and really pay attention to never be on my phone when she's uh, in, you know, if she's coming, I, I put my phone away, even if I'm working or what I try not to be on the phone when she's there. And now she's the one telling me like, well, look at that. Look, at, there's like uh, every single of the eight people around us. They're all staring at their phones uh and uh, that people over there the couple over there they're on their phone and their kid is getting really bored because he doesn't have a phone and the others over there they put a phone for their kid and and i tell like yeah so i'm and i'm trying to let her slowly understand i'm telling you you know every time when we go outside and you you're so happy to point at me and yeah look there's the moon up in the sky during the daytime none of these people see the moon none of these people ever notice the moon anymore when they go out during the daytime and and I tell her, like, you know, if I gave you a phone, would you be able to control yourself? Would you still be able to see the moon or would you lose that innocence? It's uh, 
it's a tough topic, but uh, yes. So for, for the education, uh, we obviously all have a responsibility and each person is in the end responsible for their own education. So the schools, obviously there's some change that needs to come from there. Uh, schools have been mostly in the past uh, century uh, since for over a century now, since school has been mandatory, the idea was to teach people a basic set of skills and knowledge, but also to teach them uh, to do um repetitive things uh, to follow a standard operating procedure, basically. And now we sort of need to uh, move away from that because this is what computers are good at and what algorithms are good at to follow this, uh, if this, then that, uh, and loops and, and things like this. So we need to focus more on how you think and how you reason and how you ask questions and how you remain open curiosity and things like this. So it's a very different uh kind of uh, education that is necessary in order to keep this kind of openness and to see things like this, not just trying to memorize dates and, and things like this, but it's important to, to be able to, to show these, uh, these changes and, and to think about it and to get people involved, including children involved in this. And some of the things, even the schools, they, they don't do a good job. When, when I was a kid, uh, I criticized my history professor. I said, well, history is, is a useless subject. You don't need, why do you need history? It doesn't help you for work. History is not relevant to work. And 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 the history teacher said, yes, I know, but that, that, that. And so he, uh, he acknowledged this. And if I was now thinking back about this, I was like, no, it's not true. History helps you to develop a, a general culture. When you're a manager, when you're a leader and you're having a uh after party drink with with work or something if you have like two workers that are both very diligent in their job working hard and trying to get to the next level one of them is unable to hold a decent conversation with the bosses and other stakeholders and the other one has this great general knowledge is able to ping pong ideas and you know, sometimes in there you have a golden nugget and and this is the person that you'll think okay wow this could be like a future leader this is someone that i look more fit for promoting so if you take two workers that are just as good on all the skills and everything the one who has the better general culture is someone that you think okay this one has a a, a cultural breadth that elevates this person to go further and it's someone that you can have talking around with bosses and everything at, at, at the coffee or, or at the bar in the evening so it does make a difference um if you're just being the shy person and, you know, the bosses are there and you're afraid that, you know, you can't talk with them about anything because all you know is about, I don't know, soccer or PlayStation or something, then, you know, that's a, that's, that's a pity. Lightweight. Well, I deplore a lot of what's happening in schools with regard to history, where we no longer study history in its context. We apply modern day mores and views on history that's things that have happened in the past as opposed to understanding where we come from can you say general culture actually just culture in general uh this idea uh, history is an enormous part of our culture and so is language and and all the and language there is a, a broadcast recently that said that the idea of formal language will disappear in emails the ones which said dear ashley or dear mr reconati and and with yours sincerely um out, out with that and in with high emoticon. <laughs> Yikes. We have lots of work. Ashley, it's been great fun chatting with you. Thank you for, for doing what you're doing. And um, let's say, uh, how can people go grab uh, AI Battle Royale, which is in the image for the people in video, um, uh, and put all the show notes, and how can people follow you, track you down, see your readings and writings and everything? 
Uh, the book is available on Amazon and various websites. I mean, it's uh, just Google AI Battle Royale. And Even in China? You, mm-hmm. uh, in China, it's a bit difficult to get. I mean, you, you can get it in Taobao, but it's it's a bit difficult to find in China. That's part of the whole conundrum about publishing a book in English and then being in China. So we're in discussion for a Chinese translation. So that might happen one day and that will help. But uh, right now, yeah, it's, it's not the easiest place to get your hands on it which makes it a bit difficult for me to go and do book signings and things like that. Yeah, apparently. Uh, <laughs> uh, and yeah, you can, I mean, I, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. So that's also a place where I can be found. Uh, and of course on WeChat. <laughs> I'm on WeChat. Naturally. All right. Well, I'll put all those in the show notes, Ashley. Many thanks for coming on. Uh, good luck with everything, including that tension, which I uh, continue to have uh, with the children about whether it's uh, focusing on their humanity or their tech skills for the future job. Thank you, Mentor. It was a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for having listened to this episode of the Minter Dialogue podcast. If you like the show and would like to support me, please consider a donation on patreon.com forward slash Dial. You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast service. And as ever, rating and reviews are the real currency for podcasts. You'll find the show notes with over 2,000 or more blog posts on minterdial.com. Check out my documentary film and four books, including my last one, You Lead, How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man. Man, 
How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.